0: Chapter Two of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Mrs. Jeremy Dand was sitting with her husband on the steps of the hotel when Amy and Dulce came up, with her lap full of newspapers. Mr. Dand rose and walked away as they approached, and Mrs. Dand greeted her progeny with the lazy, Well, of usage, and Dulce exclaimed, "'Oh, you've got the London papers. Hooray!' She was at once absorbed in the latest cause célèbre, and her mother, turning to Amy, said languidly, "'Jeremy saw you in the gardens, Amy, "'sitting gossiping with a man on a bench. "'He didn't quite approve of it.' "'He was an old friend,' answered Amy politely, "'my fellow-secretary out in Russia. "'He won't come bothering much. "'He is too busy making bombs.' "'My dear child, what funny people you do know!' As Amy had expected, the suggestion of nihilism effectively removed the aroma of nursery made flirtation from her interview with Mark Polgakeff, and added a flavour of grim romance which was not lost on the lady novelist. "'I'll tell Jeremy it was an anarchist,' Mrs. Dand murmured, as they went in to déjeuner. "'Mr. Dand never took déjeuner.' he breakfasted solidly, English fashion, and ate no more till dinner. After the repast, the lazy and replete bestowed themselves on divans in the lounge, shielded from the draughts of the open doors by diverse flowering shrubs and sharp-edged palms. Dulce, with a sheaf of papers under her arm, flung herself upon Amy, who protested, Don't drag me, Dulce, there's nothing more tiring. What is it? "'It's the Medro divorce case. "'So fearfully exciting. "'And Amy, there are four correspondents. "'And Sir Mervyn Diamond, "'who is staying at this very hotel, "'is one of them. "'Fancy!' "'I can't fancy. "'I won't. "'How do you know that he is staying here?' "'Looked in the hotel book. "'His name is there, all right. "'He is from Brindisi. "'I looked at his luggage. "'He only arrived last night. "'I made that out, too. "'Is he alone?' "'Yes, quite. Perhaps he has been sent for. "'Well, it is no earthly business of ours. "'Oh, Amy, aren't you really one little bit interested?' "'I am, rather,' admitted Amy candidly. "'Give us a paper, the one you have got in your hand.' "'Fuller details here,' said a voice from behind the largest palm, "'and a London evening paper of the day before was launched at them "'and fluttered down on the bamboo table in front of the guilty pair.' "'Oh, papa!' exclaimed Dolce. "'You were there all the time, listening to what we were saying, "'playing a trick on us.' "'Mr. Dand rose. "'No trick,' he said. "'You ignored me, so I let you run on. "'Go to your mother, Dolce, and see if you can help her with her packing.' "'It's all done. Amy did it.' "'Do as I tell you.' "'The child departed, downcast. "'Amy's employer came and stood quite close up to her, "'towering over her aggressively.' He was an ugly handsome man, of heavy build, with dull, deep-set eyes, and an obstinate chin and mouth. The mouth was beautifully formed, but Amy, with her conventional canons of taste, thought him ugly and heavy, and not careful enough about his clothes. Amy, do you think you ought to allow the child to talk to you like that? How can I prevent her? You should not encourage her. "'I don't think I do encourage her,' replied Amy slowly, as if she were thinking it over. "'But I should say it was very unwise to make a fuss. It would only strengthen the habit if I were to make too much of it. She doesn't know the meaning of half the words she uses. Did you notice how she pronounced the word co-respondent all in one?' "'I will ask you to be more careful in future,' Mr. Dand continued coldly. "'And another thing,' i would rather you arranged not to meet your friends in the public gardens if you can help it you will tell me you can't avoid it i suppose well said amy one can't help having friends at least anyone who has been about as much as i have true said mr dan turning away let it pass we are going to live in the country but since you are so thoroughly aware of my daughter's morbid propensities I shall be obliged if you will wrestle with them as far as in you lies. Brooding on such subjects is not at all good for a young girl, and is apt to stunt her growth. Much you care, thought Amy, as he turned and left her sole occupant of the smoking-room. You are too selfish. As for poor Dulce, she is your daughter every bit of her. What is fine-looking in a man often runs to ugliness in a woman, and I wouldn't be surprised if you were as sensual as they make them, although you don't look it. Next day they were all sitting in the lounge after déjeuner, ready for the drive to the Gare du Nord. The room was full, everybody had a newspaper in their hands, and a vaguely wandering, bored eye. It was one of the horrible, dreary, unmomentous moments of life. Dolce fond on her governess as usual, having dragged her to a seat far removed from her mother, from whose chair, Mr. Dand's, was also at some little distance. There was thus a diffused sprinkling of Dand interest about the room, and the eyes of several people were on this eccentric and rich English family. The height and size of Mr. Dand alone made him remarkable, and his quiet arrogance fascinated everyone. He divided the interest, however, with another man, who sat alone at one of the tables and sipped his coffee idly, fingering newspapers that he hardly seemed to read. His hand fell across the English paper that had been sent to the Dan's and that they had left about. Soon he was perusing it absently. A big, well-made, bearded man, unalert but powerful. His hand attracted Amy. It was large, capable, a master hand. It had more character than his face. Dulce whispered to Amy, "'Miss Stevens, that's the fourth correspondent. Doesn't he look wretched?' "'Shh!' breathed Amy, and looked, taking Sir Mervyn Diamond in superficially at a glance, as was her wont. "'He doesn't look at all that kind of man,' she thought. "'But then they never do.' Having hushed Dulce, she looked again under cover of La Patrie, and continued her deductions. "'There is a kind of power in that face,' she decided, because she wished to find power there.' the kind of man who does not care to talk about his conquests and no longer young but that makes no difference what a cat the woman must be to turn on him like this for in the paper he was studying it was fairly set down that lady medrow had as it were turned husband's evidence and a since withdrawn confession had set the first light to sir flaxley's jealousy one never can tell thought amy when there are so many cos, which of them it is the woman wants to be merely divorced off and which she intends shall marry her in the end i wonder she never knew what told her what impelled her how the knowledge came to her what form of wireless telegraphy enabled the man's anguish to set up a receiving station in the consciousness of an unimportant stranger and so despatch to her the message of the sudden crisis of his agony as far as Amy's eyes served her, she did see that big white hand clutch the corner of the newspaper and nail it to the table. He rose. He looked at nobody. He left the room. She knew as well as if he had shouted it out to the whole roomful of people that he was going away to try to put an end to himself. Amy took the decisive step of her life, she knew that life does go in great moral jerks for which there can be no previous preparation. She followed him. The expression on the faces she left behind her were various. She had time to observe them all before she went, in a flash, quick as that which comprehends the whole of a drowning man's life assessment. Jeremy Dand looked amused, Mrs. Dand horror-stricken, Dulce puzzled and the lines of their features at this juncture were forever graven on memories mere for her, as brisk, grave, efficient in her short-skirted travelling dress, she walked out of the big glass-walled room. The windows were sticky with heat, and the air of it filmy with dust. That she remembered too, so that hotel lounges were odious to her in the future. She followed him into the lift, and took her place there and beside him. She did not look at him. He had the newspaper crumpled up in his hand. When the lift stopped, he forgot his manners and passed hastily out in front of her, neither knowing nor caring whether she intended to descend on that particular floor or not. A man who is but dead cannot think of such details. Amy lost sight of him as he disappeared down a corridor, and only recovered the trail by a sleuth-hound instinct she could command on occasion. She found herself on the threshold of his room, and he was standing in front of the mirror over the mantelpiece, with the muzzle of a revolver in his mouth. The fellow to it shone in an open portmanteau on the floor. Amy knew that a clutch of his arm, or even a scream, would probably drive him to pull the trigger of the weapon. She thought of herself for one moment spattered with the blood of a big man dying at her feet, and then she said dryly, in her usual voice, "'Please don't do that.' She had succeeded." His arm dropped slowly, and he turned and saw a young, slim, plainish woman standing on the threshold of his room. "'Who are you?' he asked, with an accent on the middle word. "'Nobody. Mrs. Dan's maid. But I couldn't see a man go straight upstairs to shoot himself without raising a finger to stop him.' Sir Mervyn Diamond said nothing. He sank into a chair, and Amy advanced with cordial cheerfulness." Now I'll go downstairs again. It's over. You'll be quite calm now. May I take that thing with me? She laid her hand on the pistol. Sir Mervyn made no answer, but there was a low chair near his, and laying his other hand on hers. Sit down, he commanded. She remained standing, held by his arm in a stooping position, looking gravely down at him. I had rather not. I simply must go downstairs again before... Please give it me certainly not sit down i suppose i shall have to said amy resignedly but if i don't go back and pretty sharp too there will be a lot of talk everybody saw me follow you worse luck oh i do wish you would let me go be reasonable gentlemanly even jibes are nothing to a man in my condition and imagine asking a man who has been driven to madness by the most dastardly slurs and slanders against his honour "'To be reasonable?' "'It is a slander, then,' said Amy carelessly, "'as she sat down on the edge of the chair, "'her cunning eye on the pistol. "'No, it's true. God forgive me. "'Now you had better go and let me get on. "'You see yourself that it's the only thing for me to do. "'There are heaps of less selfish things to do. "'You can go into the witness-box and swear—' "'To a lie?' "'Amy shrugged her shoulders.' "'A man must lie to save a woman. "'You had no right to admit it even to me just now. "'But then you are not quite yourself. "'And besides, you should have thought of the lie you'd have to tell at first. "'An intrigue always means a few dishonourable things to be done for honour's sake. "'Crooked honour, I call it.' "'You seem to have thought it all out.' "'It's elementary. "'But now look here, Sir Mervyn. "'I must not get talking to you. "'Can't I have that pistol and go?' No, you cannot. You must finish the work you have begun. You are very selfish, Sir Mervyn, said Amy, who felt unable somehow to let go of his title. Mrs. Dand will certainly dismiss me if I stay up here much longer in a man's bedroom. They all saw me go after you. It looked too awfully bad. No employer could be expected to stand it. And yet you will keep me here. Who is Mrs. Dand?' Mrs. Jeremy, Marion, Dand, whose maid I have told you I am. Nonsense! You can't be anybody's maid. You are an Amazon, a Valkyrie. You have the pluck of the— I know I have, said Amy modestly, and a nice fool I make of myself with it all, following you. Splendid recklessness, pursued he half to himself, but you will only hurt yourself with it. Come to grief somehow. People will impose on you, "'put upon you, use you to their own profit. "'And while we are dawdling here, discussing my character,' moaned Amy, "'it will be gone. "'Those cats in the salon won't leave me a shred to bless myself with. "'Oh, Sir Mervyn, do let me go.' "'His hot hand clutched her cool arm, "'which the fashion of the day left entirely bare. "'If you leave me, I won't answer for the consequences. "'You might as well never have followed me upstairs.' "'That's a mean way of getting at me,' said Amy angrily. "'And what do you mean? "'I can't stay up here with you all day.' "'Why not? "'You cannot leave me like this. "'It would be manslaughter.' "'How absurd! "'How childish you are!' said Amy. "'And it shows you are all right now, for you are making jokes. "'How can I stay with you? "'Do show some sense, and if, as you say, "'you are the least grateful to me for saving your life, "'don't try to ruin mine.' I can't stay here, and what is more, I won't. You can stay here, you will. If there's any difficulty about it, I can marry you. By Jove, I'll do it if it's only to keep you here. And I won't be kept here, and I won't marry you. Amy almost screamed. He took his hand away. Go then, you are warned. You know what will happen the moment that door closes behind you. "'Amy began to cry, for, oddly enough, she believed him. "'Tears!' he exclaimed, affected by the sight. "'I can't stand a woman's tears. "'Not yours, anyhow. "'What am I to do? "'Let you go?' "'I won't go now, not without the pistol at any rate. "'Here you are, then, and you had better secure the other two. "'Now go cheerfully out of my life, "'which you can consider you have given me back. "'Much good I shall do with it.' "'You can do this with it.' "'Go home and go into the witness-box and deny everything.' "'Is that what you ask me to do for your sake?' "'Not for my sake, for the sake of all women. "'We all ought to stick together and wrest things from you men,' said Amy, without thinking what she was saying, as she took the pistol from his hand and replaced it beside its shining fellow. She was not surprised. She knew men and had received a last sigh on a battlefield that as she turned to say good-bye... "'He asked her to kiss him. "'Certainly,' she said kindly, "'you have been very good.' "'As he raised his head from her forehead, "'they were both aware of the presence of the head waiter, "'apologetic but businesslike, "'who stood on the threshold of the open door "'with a note in his hand. "'Mademoiselle,' he murmured, handing it. "'Amy broke it open. "'A check fluttered out. "'From Mrs. Dand. "'I told you so,' she exclaimed. "'Listen!' "'Amy Stevens, I can't possibly have you with my child "'as I intended after this extraordinary piece of behaviour. "'It serves me right for picking up chance people. "'Your coming back to England with us is out of the question. "'Everybody saw you follow that man out of the room, "'and the waiter says you went straight up to his bedroom. "'I enclose a cheque. "'Damn her cheque. "'For a month's salary and good-bye.' You read very well, and with fine, strong emphasis. You can be my secretary, said Sir Mervyn, grinning, to Amy, who stood with a blank face, holding Mrs. Dan's scrawl in her hand. They are gone, madame, the waiter said respectfully, foreseeing further and perhaps lucrative developments from his point of view, and with an awkward smile left the room. End of chapter 2